0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. So,
1: a few years ago, uh, 2017, client we had, big client. This was going to be, like, the client to put me over the top. And in 2017, like, I'm hungry good not great at this point and there was this horrible confession like I mean this guy basically confessed to everyone in the county all the shit he did and he was looking at 25 years on the minimum I worked this file and I came up with some bullshit that the prosecutor believed and they were going to give him I think it was 28 months and I said to him you need to take this deal. And everybody in my inner circle was just amazed what a deal we had. Like, how did this piece of shit get 28 months? When he could easily do 28 years or more. Another lawyer came along. And the other lawyer said to him, You don't want to go with Amadeo. He is... He's brash. He's young. He's cocky. But he doesn't know what he's doing. And they told him, if his family gave 50 grand, they would basically guarantee that he'd be free. And we're talking about it. And at the time, he didn't pay me close to 50 grand, but the money he paid in 2017 was like all the money in the world to me. It was so huge. Back then, like a 20K retainer was, I was on top of the world. And his family went with the other lawyer. There's only been a few times in my career I've been fired. And this is one of them. And I asked for a refund, and I gave him a refund, and it hurt so bad at that time. That's 2017. Today, I went not look at that case for under 75k. But gave him his money back, went to trial with the other lawyers, and he ended up getting 26 years in prison. And to show how immature I could be at times, because I took that sh- personal. On the 28th month, my firm sent him in prison like two dozen roses and a selfie saying thinking of you because he would have been out that day so of course that pissed him off but made me feel better about things it's been that type of day i'm bill amadeo mcmanus amadeo and Grable associates and this is the jail visit this is
0: your cell this is your bunk this is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the co oil and propane studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
1: Um, so a couple updates. My partner, Matt McManus, has COVID. So I have been in COVID protocol, which fucking sucks. Test came back, though. I am negative, so that's good. I will likely be in Shiawassee this week for a big hearing and uh, we'll take it from there so my shytown town people, they will catch up. We're gonna talk about some topics tonight. Drug offenses, defending drinking and driving offenses, when freedom of speech becomes a criminal case, putting the offense in defense, fighting off the confession, the Collins call, stealing emails of others. Pulling the complaining witnesses. Hassle doctrine. And then I have, um, I have some questions that came in. I have a couple questions that came in from some people with fake emails. And I'll answer those questions. First of all, let me be clear. I have a feeling who one of them was. Just because I beat your ass in court today doesn't mean you should not have enough balls to put your real name on an email. Good hearing now this morning. I hope you, um, recovered from that. Anyway, drug cases. Let's talk about defending the drug case. When we look at a drug case, let's start with the state level. We're looking at distribution. We're looking at possession and we're looking at use. Distribution is when a defendant is accused of selling narcotics. That's the most severe generically speaking of the drug cases we have there's not a ton of empathy for the quote-unquote drug dealer we'll talk about ways that you can defend that individual possession is somebody that was basically just using for their own enjoyment but they weren't selling and use is basically you know it's a smaller amount but they were just using for self-consumption with the distribution case, we're going to learn a lot of times about trading. You got to, you know, get to know the vibe of your defendant. Usually a prosecutor is going to want that distributor to roll on somebody else. I think a lot of times criminal prosecutions on drugs are about getting to the bigger fish. We'll talk about federal later, how that plays out. But, you know, you always start with the premise, was my client innocent? can I prove their innocence and I did say can I prove their innocence because you are deemed guilty walking in the court only but he bullshit you on that one it's not innocent till proven guilty it's guilty till your lawyer proves your innocence you know that's where we're at. So with the distribution case if you got somebody that's guilty and you cannot work around it and sometimes the facts won't allow you to. You know, you got to try to push that down to a possession case. The possession you want to try to push down to the use case. Now, there's different avenues. Obviously, proving Mm -hmm. someone's innocence is always your top gun. And anytime you take a case, you got to have enough courage to say, I will take this thing to trial if need be. Now, sometimes things happen along the way. And when you decide to start getting into plea negotiations, you have to do what's right for your client. And you got to discuss it with your client. Let me say one thing. What your job as a defense lawyer is to do is discuss the pros and cons with your client. You are not to make that decision for them. I made that decision for somebody one time. And it was the Eric Coleman case. And Eric was looking at a long time in prison. And when we finally got towards the end, he was looking at about two years in prison. And Eric said to me, what do you think? I said, Fuck this, let's go win this trial. And we won. And, you know, six months later, he got shot and killed. And part of me always says, well, you know, if he would have taken the two years, he'd still be alive today. The family doesn't blame me for that, but I learned at that, that day I will never get over Eric's death. And I don't want to play God you know what i want to do is have the client make that decision the client has to do the time if they there's a play you do not so your job is to fight like hell and explain the pros and cons of all options but lawyers you don't make that decision they do we advocate for them they're the ones that are actually in charge of the case don't forget that we work for them they don't work for us With the distribution case, we get a look at the prior criminal history. Scoring guidelines come into play. What's my PRVs? What's my OVs? PRVs are your priors. And there's a scoring chart for that. OVs are offense variables. And every crime in Michigan goes on a scoring chart. Now, keep this in mind. When you score somebody, the way you score it the way the court scores it the way the prosecutor chart scores it the way probation could be different and if you don't have a sentence agreement in place you know those guidelines become extremely essential in some counties sentence agreements are not in play a killbrew agreement is between the defense lawyer and the prosecutor which basically gives a guarantee of what the sentence will be a cobbs agreement is between defense counsel and the judge. But in counties that don't do that, probation takes more of a profound effect. And depending upon the pulse of the community, drug use, drug possession can be very different things. One thing that happens is there's a lot of fantastic drug courts now. I know Shiawassee County, in my opinion, has the most advanced drug court in the state of Michigan. And what the drug court does is it basically puts you through the rigor to get you clean, try to advance your life, advance your career, advance your freedom. It gives people a second chance. The Shiawassee County Drug Court that is run by Judge Matthew Stewart, Chrissy Labs, Sari Colbury, Liz Brown, it's far and away the best drug court I've seen in the state of Michigan. Those graduates go on to do really solid things. And a county like Shiawassee will look at someone and say, look, I want to rebuild them if they're fixable. You know, there's other counties that may not be as forgiving. You as a defense lawyer need to understand that if you get somebody into drug court, it's called a specialty court, their life is not going to be easy in that court. The temptations never go away. If you have an addiction, you need to get help for it. But the one thing you can't do is you can't bullshit the system. You know, if we're in a situation where we're trying to get somebody into a specialty court, they need to confront the problem. You know, I know in Washington County, and I'm talking to district court level for a moment, when I see a probation officer like Jennifer Yakey and, you know, Jen and I bang heads, but that is somebody who cares so much about helping people overcome addiction. She is a role model for what a probation officer is supposed to be. And even though I don't always agree with her recommendations, and we're on different sides of the V at times, she has taught me so much. And in drug cases, I think more than any other case, you need to have a connection with the probation officer. Because somebody in a drug situation, special repeat offender, it's so easy for them to slide into a pit of problems. Respect for the probation officer and going back and forth advances the chance of your client, not only avoiding prison and or jail, but also enhancing their life. When you take a drug case, if you're defending someone who is a drug addict, your goal is not simply to be a litigator. You gotta be a social worker. You need to work the angles to help them with their recovery. And if they're innocent, fuck it. Let's just go to war. But drug cases come in a lot of different flavors. Federally, the game changes a lot when it comes to drug cases. Federal prosecution is about patterns. And when I say patterns, the reason why there are such heightened conviction rates on the federal level Is because it takes the AUSAs a long time to charge. If you're doing something across state lines, I always advise not to commit criminal activity, but if you do it consistently, there's a greater chance of criminal prosecution. It's like a video game, you know, and when the video game comes out, if you break the pattern, you give yourself a better chance not to land into a conviction. I can't tell you how many times I've told people, listen, I'll take your case and we'll work on X amount of dollars or whatever, but you may not need me if you stop doing this right now. And many times the defendant won't stop doing it, but federal prosecution is about patterns. State prosecution is more about feel. You know, a state prosecutor feels something's going on. The federal prosecutor has more time and resources to do their homework. So, best thing I could tell you with the federal prosecutions is the best way to advocate for yourself is basically to not create such a pattern. Extended criminal activity can lead to extended prison sentences. Okay, the next topic today... Is going to be defending the OUIL okay drunk driving so there's a lot that goes into this and you'd be surprised how often the police do not follow all the proper steps when getting someone on a drunk driving offense first thing you need to know as a defendant and I always tell people don't volunteer information to the police Michigan is an implied consent state. And as an implied consent state, if you do not hand over your driver's license when asked for it, you automatically will lose your license for six months. You have to go to an implied consent hearing. That's dangerous. So when asked for your driver's license because the legislator sets implied consent, you not giving up the license is going to put you in a bad situation. Here's what you have to do. You get stopped by the police. Put your recording on your cell phone. You're allowed to record. Um, tell the officer, I'm going to get my driver's license. Put it on top of the dash. Comply with the rules, but do not volunteer more information than you need to. You know, when they say, how much have you had to drink tonight? You simply say, officer, tell me what you need me to do and I will comply. Do not get into an interrogation. Because a lot of times when they ask you those questions, they're trying to build a case, they may not be sure you're drinking and driving. And an issue that comes up a lot right now is what do we do with THC? You know, it's not easy to gauge THC versus alcohol in the bloodstream. And while in many parts of Michigan, especially with a medical marijuana card, you can smoke weed now or do edibles or whatever, um, there still comes a situation we're saying, is the individual under the influence? We can't measure pot versus liquor. The impaired driving statute is extremely vague. We, you know, we're talking about impaired, you could be sleepy and be deemed to be impaired driving. There's a huge difference between an OUIL-1 and impaired driving. You know, if you pled down to an impaired, you don't lose your driver's license. They have a restricted license. The OUIL, it's a hard suspension, you know. um, Drug cases make you lose your driver's license. And you gotta keep that in mind. Not all lawyers tell people that, but if you get it pled down to a use, you could still lose your license for a year. You can apply for an impaired after a while, but you know, the drug case when you are not driving can still cost you your driver's license in the state of Michigan. Not saying that's fair. I'm telling you that's where we're at right now. So you gotta be real careful you're getting into plea negotiations. It's not the prosecutor's obligation to tell you all these things. One thing you can do with a drug case that you can't do with an alcohol case is get a 7411. 7411 is like your one time pass, but here's a catch to that. So the first time you have a drug offense, you can basically have it automatically expunged through the 7411 statute. However, here's the big catch, right? And I see young lawyers drop the ball on this just because a judge or a prosecutor gives you 7411 that does not mean you cannot get incarcerated people seem to think well i have a 7411 going for me so i'm not going to jail well you still could you have to negotiate two things in those cases number one i want to stay the hell out of incarceration whether that mean mdoc or jail depending on your guidelines but your goal is to preserve your freedom. Number two, you want to preserve your record. If you only get the 7411, but you end up doing jail time, you know, where are we going with this? In my world, my first agenda on every case is to keep your freedom. That's it. Now, everything else I'm going to fight for, but it's secondary, because if you're behind bars, your life's not the same, you know? So to me, that's always a top priority. Can I keep this defendant out of prison, out of jail? How am I going to accomplish that? What do I have to do? The 7411 would become a secondary aspect. People always ask me this if I have a young person on a drug offense and they have an option for Haida or a 7411. And we're not going to get too deep into Haida and 7411. Like we're going to briefly touch upon this. Haida, the Holmes Youthful Training Act, the end of someone's 23rd birthday, and they're trying to push it to 25, actually. Actually, it actually was pushed. I don't think it's formalized yet. But that expungement is based upon your age. A seventy-four, eleven is only based upon narcotics. So I have to believe if I'm in that scenario, where I have an option for either one, or I negotiate it, such a good option, I'm gonna go with the Haida. because if my guy catches a cocaine charge when he's thirty-two, and he had his first charge at twenty-four, or whatever. I still like to keep that 74-11 open for them in case something bad happens in the future. I always look at it with a sports analogy. It's like keeping a timeout in your pocket. I want to hold on to that timeout. Haida is like your timeouts before the half ends. Well, I might as well use it. And I get Haida more than once. That's a misnomer. People think you only get Haida once. You can. I have one kid. God bless him. Got him Haida nine times. Let's not push for number 10, okay? I really don't want to see your mom coming in with any more checks where I want you to get on with your fucking life, but nine times. And I really care for this kid. But man, banging your head against the wall. At some point, you run out of lives on this one. He's a good kid. Really is, but he always catches some stupid case. He does something stupid, hangs out with the wrong people. Keep getting him hired. To... You know we got hide in Washington, we got hide in Wayne, we got hide in Macomb, we got height in Jackson. I mean, Christ, dude, at some point you're gonna travel somewhere where it's not gonna be that easy. So, Haida is a nail defense. 7411 is use when appropriate. So you gotta really pick your spots there. But burn the height defense before the 7411 defense, because Haida will disappear in time 7411 always stays in the background okay number three when freedom of speech becomes a criminal case you know i gotta tell you and i gotta be careful here i know i have some active cases on freedom of speech matters There used to be a time when you just expressing yourself was allowed. Now, if you express yourself in a way that some people deem not to be politically correct, you could easily get charged. Um, Different charges are out there. False threat of terrorism seems to be the big one. That's a 20 year felony. Um, if I basically say to somebody I'm pissed off on Facebook about and I targeted somebody, they could try to hit you with a 20-year felony. Uh, obviously, political speech has taken on a whole new game right now. You know, and as somebody who's discussed it with both sides of political half circle, I will say it does seem that Republicans are under the gun when it comes to freedom of speech. I don't quite get that. I see a lot of Republicans getting charged with, um, criminal activity for speaking their mind, but last time I checked, both sides were being asked during the elections with phone calls and stuff, so we really gotta call that down the middle. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, and if you know me, I really could give a sh. I vote for the candidate, not the party. You know, I know a lot of my views are deemed as liberal. And I know some people say that I'm too liberal for Shiawassee and too conservative for Washington. To that response, thank you. With that being said, my God, because you don't like somebody's political views, you wanna charge them with a felony and put them in prison for speech? Con law 2 taught us what true threats were. In con law 2 in law school, they break down freedom of speech and freedom of association. We start with the premise that speech should be protected. That's how we start the game. you know. And when we curtail speech, we're basically spitting in the face of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. You cannot yell fire in a movie theater. But if you yell, I don't like this movie, and somebody gets offended by that, that should not mean you're facing jail or prison time, that's bullshit. If we step on people's speech today, we're gonna be stepping on other fundamental rights tomorrow. Example! If you tell somebody that the police need a warrant to go into a house, you're protected, according to the First Amendment that is not interfering with an investigation of course i'm giving a hypothetical guys let's grow a set of balls here okay if somebody says something you don't like turn the channel we cannot start prosecuting people because we don't like their stance on an issue we're supposed to prosecute people that hurt innocent victims. We're going way too far of regulating speech, guys, way too far. And these speech prosecutions are always politically generated. I don't care if you like Trump or you like Biden. And believe me, my close people will tell you, I don't give a shit where you stand. But we need to apply the same rules across the board. We can't signal out people because they're Trump supporters. We can't signal out people because they're Biden supporters. We need to apply the law with an even hand. And that's not f***ing happening in these speech cases. And that pisses me the f*** off. And when people say to me, you have some clients we don't like. Number one, I don't have to explain myself to you. Number two, when there's a freedom of speech case... I am always going to defend someone's right to speak. Understand that. I don't have to like somebody to defend their right to speak, because once we start taking away your fundamental rights, we are heading towards a bad situation in society. You know, we need to work on that. The freedom of speech cases piss me the f*** off. You know, and I'm seeing it come up way too often. I'm seeing it come up where... People are using freedom of speech cases to push their own political agenda. You know, I'm seeing crazy bonds on freedom of speech cases when assaulted behaviors are not getting the same bonds. That's fucking bullshit. Okay, putting the offense and defense. Why can't I just did that? Okay, defense lawyers. There's a thing called motions. We're allowed to file them. Okay, And the problem, I don't like losing. Losing fucking sucks. I hate it. But you have to learn as a defense lawyer, motions and losing motions is part of the fucking game. You file motions to preserve appeals. You can win a case on a motion. But if you don't file the appropriate motions, you are setting your client up for failure. And if you're scared to file a motion... Because you don't want to offend the prosecutor, or the judge and I suggest you don't practice criminal law. Okay It is malpractice not to file the correct motions. And let me tell you something. When the cop is on the stand, and this cop, who tried to get a confession out of your client, or who signed a confession for your client, I respect the badge. But let me be clear, in Vor dare, you need to tell the jury. Are you going to hold it against my client if I go after this cop? Because rest assured, in criminal defense, you're going to f***ing go after the cop. If you do not go after the officer in charge and just sit on your hands, you should not be doing criminal f***ing law. Understand that. So you could respect the badge, but you got to fight for your client. Your client's f***ing freedom is on the line. You have to go after the officer that's trying to take that freedom away. I respect the badge, but I also respect my career. And you better gauge the temperature of the jury. Cause some juries may love the offensive defense lawyer. Some may not. Here's my best advice. Put the offense in the defense. It's like having an arsenal. You need to cover your ass. You need to fight for your client. And if you don't want to fight, because, as people have told me, <clears throat> Bill McQuarrie told me this years ago when I was studying under him, criminal law is a fucking street fight. If you don't want to enter a street fight, there's plenty of other options in law. And I wish you well with that. But you have to be ready to go to war. Obviously the respect I have for someone like a Scott corner is not the respect I have for some other prosecutors and the way I'll handle a corner case might be different than some others. Okay. And I'm not bad math any prosecutors right now, but for me, when a prosecutor has never practiced criminal defense, I don't think they quite get what's going on in our side. The reason why corner I hold such high regard is he was a good defense lawyer. Sees both sides of the issue. I don't want a prosecutor to roll over to me. I want a prosecutor to see my plight. To understand that I'm putting the needs of my client first. I'm going to war for my client. And you got to respect that. If you want a lawyer who's just going to sit on her ass and not fight and explore every option, go for a Google search. Don't hire me. If you come to me with a case, I have to find every way to win that case for you. You know, there have been some people that don't like my methods. I don't break rules. I fight. It is 748. I'm not leaving for another three hours because I'm fucking fighting. That's putting the offense and defense. You're not going to win every case. As great as my trial record is, I will tell you, those losses, as few as they may be, hurt more than the thrill of those wins. And the reason those cases hurt is because I cared so much for the client. But, you know, it happens. Those wins, you know, guys face 150 years in prison, jury comes back not guilty, or the case gets dismissed. Feels great, feels awesome, but it's fleeting the losses need to sting. If the losses don't sting, you're doing something wrong. When you're done with a trial, you should be exhausted, win or loss. If you're not exhausted, you did something wrong. Believe me on that one. Even though my win percentage is as high as it is, it is exhausting when a case is over, if you care
0: the jail visit with attorney bill amadeo from mcmanus and amadeo connect with mcmanus and amadeo at mcmanus or call 800-392-7311 this is the jail visit on shiawasi radio
1: start talking about fighting off the confession the most powerful tool a prosecutor has is a confession a confession is when somebody admits to a crime. Here's the danger of this, all right. So many times a confession can be compromised. It could be manipulated. And I'm going back to my Catholic school days. We were taught in Catholic school, in the confessional, whatever you say is protected. Now, there's been studies that, Confessions across the United States, percentage-wise, it's usually people that are extremely religious, especially Catholics, because it's embedded in you from an early age that if you confess, it's a good thing. Let me break the myth right now. Shut the f*** up. You confessing or having your words twisted is not going to help you. Only thing it's going to do is be you're getting the prison free card, as we like to say. can't confess, man. By the way, when that cop says, hey, just tell us what we want to hear and we'll let you go home, that's bullshit. If you don't believe me, I want you to think about the West Memphis Three. I want you to think about Jesse Miss Kelly. I want you to think about making a murder. I want you to think about Brendan Dassey. I want you to think about the Central Park Five. There are so many times when a confession is coerced. A confession is manipulated. Here's how it goes down. If there is an interrogation room and party interrogation is missing, that's a trigger for you that the cop did something wrong. On its face, a confession must have KIV. must be done knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily done. So KIV is a pretty low standard. If you got the KIV, the confession is valid. What our goal as a defense counsel is going to be, when we have that confession, is to kill that confession. Show that one of those elements is missing. Easier said than done. What you have to do quite often is bring in a false confession expert. Gotta do a Daubert hearing. The Dolbert hearing in Michigan is a hearing where we decide if somebody who does not have memory of communication and knowledge, somebody who did not see the evidence firsthand, can based upon their expertise provide you an analysis why something happened or didn't happen. Usually done more in civil litigation than criminal litigation. But this happens all the time with confession cases. Highly recommend Dr. Brian Cutler out of Toronto. What Cutler will do is break down why somebody would ever confess to a crime they didn't commit. You know, and I'll tell you a few reasons why in my career I've learned this. Here's why people confess to things they don't do. Number one, mental health issues. All the time. If somebody has mental instability, they may think confessing is a good thing. Look at Brendan Dassey. Look at Jesse Miskelley. Number two, hero syndrome. What is that? Let's talk about that. Hero syndrome is when somebody wants to be deemed important. They almost feel like they have a sense of importance by making a confession. A lot of times this will be people that have really bad social skills. You know, they weren't the man, they weren't the shit in college. They haven't made it big in life, but now the confession brings them this level of importance without realizing they're sending themselves to prison. But hero is a big thing. And number three, and this happens more than you think, covering for a loved one. I want you to think about this. Because the average juror is always going to wonder, why would somebody confess to something they didn't do? Imagine your daughter or your son committed a crime. And you could take the bullet for them. Would you do it? Would you rather serve 10 years at the Michigan Department of Corrections as opposed to having your child do six? There's a lot of psychological aspects that go into that. When you're fighting off a confession, you start structurally. We break down the elements review the case law we then got to transition into an expert usually a circuit court judge is not going to kick it on a confession what you may have to do is file an interrogatory appeal an interrogatory appeal is an appeal while the case is pending what you have to do is stay the case which means put it on pause then have the Court of Appeals and potentially the Michigan Supreme Court reviewed us. It's expensive, it's difficult, but it could save your ass. Fighting off a confession is the toughest thing a criminal lawyer has to do. And you have to come up with the concept. This happens in Vordaire. You know Vordaire's jury selection. You gotta really study the social media of your potential jurors, you know. What do they like on Facebook? What do they like on Instagram? What clubs are they part of? What churches are they part of? Because you need jurors that are going to have an open mind. The average person's going to say, why would somebody ever confess to something they didn't do? And there are reasons for it. We talked about some of them tonight. Vordair, we'll talk about that another time, but if you do not do proper dire, you are doing your client a disservice. So fighting off the confession is tough. Best ways to do it, number one, do the structural research, number two, fight like hell for a Dolbert hearing, number three, prepare for an interrogatory appeal. There are your three components of that. Next, we'll transition into what we call the Collins call. All right, this is interesting because Michigan's a little different. Michigan is what we call a one-party consent state. A one-party consent state. What does that mean in English? Well, it means the following. If you want to set somebody up in a phone call, you could record them. As long as you agree to do it, you don't need their consent. You don't need their permission. And it's fascinating in Michigan because like with an OUIL, when you're drinking and driving, we're an implied consent state. And when I say an implied consent state, if you don't give up your driver's license, don't do the breathalyzer, they'll pull your license automatically. With a Collins call, it's sort of like implied consent, but the reality is one person agreeing to record the call is good enough. Now, this gets dangerous. If you Record someone's call with a third party in the room for litigation purposes. It gets real sticky there Usually The police will try to set up a call what they'll do is when they have a weak case They'll put a witness up. They'll give them a script And they'll give the individual a series of questions to ask the defendant To try to get confession out of them Collins call is dangerous want you guys to remember this tonight, okay? If you are on the phone with somebody and they record you, you're in trouble. Watch your back on phone calls. In Michigan, it's like the Wild West when it comes to recording someone. I would also say this. When it comes to text messages party admissions live in text messages what you text somebody you're putting that person on the honor code if you send a text to somebody you need to be really careful about what you put in that text because if you trust them and they burn you it could end up in litigation I hate to tell you to be paranoid about this, but what you put in a text or over the phone, it's dangerous, man. It could come back and bite you in the ass. You got to watch that. The Collins call really becomes an issue that a lot of convictions happen because of recorded phone calls. So watch your back on the phone. Stealing the emails of another. So let's start with this. When you email somebody, it lives forever, okay? It's encrypted and it lives forever. You could delete it. I know certain police agencies can't find it once it's deleted, but when you put out an email, it's there forever. And if A emails B, and B wants to use that email, A could have a problem. Here's where it gets tricky, A, B, and C we see this a lot of times in divorce cases. Somebody will hack into someone's server and they'll start stealing emails. Okay, that's illegal. That's a federal crime. If you're emailing me and you wanna set me up based on the email, well, you're good. But if your friend steals the email and uses it, it becomes a whole different situation. One a case two years ago Because somebody basically stole someone else's emails. And the prosecution tried to use those stolen emails to basically make their case. For the idiots out there that want to set people up in emails, you should really do a fake email. They're free. Catfish someone. How is catfishing still working in 2021? Just curious about that. Because this is like legal catfishing. You know, I don't get it. Like, you're talking to someone, you've never seen them, and you're in a relationship with them, and then they end up, like, being somebody else. Like, how f***ing stupid are you? What's it got to do with the criminal law aspect? Well, you'd be amazed how many people get catfished in sting operations. Why would you ever, like... Why would you put incriminating things in an email to somebody, number one, you didn't have any relationship with? You didn't know. Guys, let's be careful with our emails. Watch your ass on that, man. More people get caught up in criminal enterprises because they trust who they're texting, they trust what they say on the phone, and they trust their emails. Here's your free advice watch your ass and i always say this as one of the models of the firm if people listen to my free advice i would not be making as much money as i am this is a freebie what you say what you text what you email can come back and bite you in the ass cover yourself do not have anything vague that could be twisted we'll transition calling the complaining witness is that good to do can i do it well all right who's the complaining witness prosecutors call this individual a victim defense lawyers called him a complaining witness the cops will try to set up a defendant all the time can you fight back here's the answer technically you can you can set somebody up on facebook you, should set, you could set somebody up on a phone call or a text message. However, if you do that, you risk becoming a witness to the case. On a big case, when you're in that deep part of the pool and you're trying to set somebody up, you should always have a private investigator or a third party not affiliated with the case do the dirty work on that. You can script them, but you should never make the call yourself as a lawyer. I mean, only an idiot... Would do their own deep calls it's just bad business you gotta watch your ass on that one have a third party like a good private investigator do that part of the job for you meet with them connect with them work with them but don't do their work if you do that you will burn yourself hard so yeah you can call the complaining witness if you do decide to call the complaining witness You gotta record that. When I've done this in the past, I always tell them, hey, I'm recording you. Are you okay with that? Now, understand every case is different. This is not a one size fits all scenario. If the complaining witness wants to talk to you, okay. Well, you gotta think to yourself this. Number one, are they trying to set me up? Two, do they want out of this case? I highly recommend emailing someone as opposed to just calling them and if you do call them record it and if you're going to do that if you're going down that route it's best to have a private investigator hope that answers some questions a lot has been coming in all right let's talk about the castle doctrine people have interest in this this is the eric coleman case here's the long and short of it michigan has a stand your ground type statute here's what this means if somebody comes into your house and there's a threat that deadly force is going to be used you can use deadly force back i know this is we're in a real self-defense era right now the whole written house trial people have been asking about the written house trial here's what i'll say about this because it kind of plays into the castle doctrine And I don't care what side you're on, okay? I don't care if you hate Kyle Rittenhouse. I don't care if you love Kyle Rittenhouse. I don't care what side of E you're on. Let's just look at the facts. Was there a solid case for self-defense? Absolutely. Did the prosecutor prep for this trial? I'm not sure. I never saw so many hypotheticals. You never ask a question you know the answer to. As Bill McQuarrie told me back in the day, you leave it out there. You know? You leave it out there knowing what the answer is, waiting for somebody to touch it. The Eric Coleman trial, may Eric rest in peace. He had somebody come to his house, use deadly force. He shot at them. He called 911 while he shot the individual. Self-defense. Argued Castle doctrine, we won. Jory believed every bit of it. Why would somebody call 911? Here's the key to a good castle doctrine defense. Did you call 911 before you shot at somebody? Because if you called before the shot occurred, then there's a belief that you were a law-abiding citizen and truly defending your house. If you called after the fact, then there's a question where you're covering yourself. Um, The castle doctrine, I've won a few cases on that. The nuts and bolts of it is if somebody comes to your house trying to kill you, you can kill them. Uh, there's also something called a retreat doctrine, though. You know, and that means outside your house, if there's a chance to retreat, you should try to retreat when possible. Castle doctrine is kind of like a last resort. We really don't want people killing others even inside the house. But there is justification if the facts present it. The 911 call is big, though you know, when or if that 911 call was made. Did you call before you shot somebody? Did you call after you shot somebody? I mean, here's the scenario. Somebody's breaking into your house, right? Or they pull a weapon on you. Calling 911 is the first move. You know, I think an intruder's coming in my house, I live at 109 North Willow Avenue, boom, boom, boom. You know, as opposed to just shooting someone, the timing of the call is critical cases on this defense are made or broken now another thing to think about here is their video is ring.com working nothing is stronger than a pitcher you know i don't care how good of an oral argument you make you know it's a whole different ballgame in texas it's beyond stand your ground i'm not an expert in texas law but i could tell you it's a lot easier to defend the Castle Doctrine argument in Texas. In fact, in Texas, there was actually a statute, I don't know if it's still in the books, we learned this in law school, where if you find your wife in bed with somebody else, you can kill him. Now, I want you to think about what that could set up. Because there's all sorts of adulterous affairs that could be created to try and get out of a marriage or insurance policies. Texas is really a shoot-first type state. Very bizarre laws in Texas. And they're very big on the death penalty in Texas. But they're also very big in gun rights and self-defense. They don't mess around in Texas when it comes to killing someone. But if you are upper middle class and you kill somebody, you have a much better chance of winning than if you have lower social economics. I could give you case studies I've learned in Texas. I was going to practice in Texas for a minute. Um, it was between Texas and California. I ended up in California. So am I an expert in Texas law? Absolutely not. Do i know some i know a little bit so now we have some questions from the audience first question i got tonight i don't know who this guy is but he goes hypothetically speaking how much sold us could you put into a rice krispie treat before people would start to notice fake email so just so we're clear i'm assuming it's msp or somebody I beat in court you shouldn't put soul dust in a rice krispie treat. That's a really weird question. And really, if you want to come at me with questions, I'll put your real email on it. Second question: I saw you in court one day, and you made somebody cry their eyes out. How do you feel about that? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, on well, cross examination, tears happen a lot. I always say this when i'm asked about a therapy dog do i care if the victim wants a therapy dog and i always say when i'm done the cops go to need a therapy dog i think with cops on the stand i want to try to make them cry with uh females on the stand it's more of a delicate situation but it depends what the situation calls for a lot of times the defense is crying about being falsely accused of stuff so It's a case-by-case situation. My goal is not to go out there and intentionally make somebody cry, but it's kind of a byproduct of the case, you know? So I don't know what case you're referring to. I'm not trying to make people cry, but if somebody's lying about my client, I'm gonna gun them. So I don't know if I feel bad or not. It would really depend on the case. If they go to a college in a town I may or may not be very familiar with, no. I'm glad they cry if it is a abuse and neglect case and it's somebody who's got mental health problems and I'm fighting for somebody to have a kid instead of somebody else I might feel bad about it but it all depends on who I'm targeting does that answer your question next question does my college major affect my career not in the least in fact I would tell you this if you're in college don't become a pre-law major Here's why. It doesn't matter what you major in in college before you go to law school. All right, understand that. In fact, if you do a pre-law major, you kind of, like, lock yourself in. The only thing you could do is become a lawyer or a paralegal. I was a journalism major. I always wanted options. Because you may think you want to be a lawyer, and you might change your mind about it. You know? So... Understand that pre-law is should not be the move. It may be your goal, you may achieve that goal, but create options for yourself. I do think most law schools like to see people that have writing experience. Literature is not bad, but you know, don't lock yourself into a pre-law thing. Next question: What's going on, in Ipsy? That's a Tyrone Bridges question, really. Um, we're seeing a lot of murders in Ypsilanti right now. I know the public defender's office in Washington County is slammed. Uh, I don't know what's going on with all these homicides, but the homicides in Ipsy, they're not rivaling level Detroit. There's a lot of homicides going on right now, so Ipsy is a dangerous place right now. If you live in Ipsy, be careful. I do hope Ipsy and Ann Arbor work together, but it feels like they're two different worlds at the moment. You don't really see a lot of people getting killed in Ann Arbor or Dexter or Chelsea. You are seeing constant murders in Ypsilanti right now. So I am concerned for Ipsy. And I never understood how 15-minute drive can make all the difference in the world. CPS, how do you deal with them? All right. CPS has a tough job to understand that. You know i think cps and dhhs they're really their job is to protect children i think sometimes get carried away with their job um sometimes cps agents are wannabe cops sometimes they're the best of intentions i would say this you never talk to a cps agent without a lawyer present when you're talking to a government official You always have to remember whatever you say can be used against you. You got to watch that twist and turn. A lot of times, this is what Bill McQuarrie calls the trifecta. There's a CPS issue, there's a criminal issue, and it ends up being a divorce issue. You usually get all three of those cases. And giving up the children might have to happen to protect the criminal aspect of things. And that's really a sad situation. Um, a lot of counties, if there's a CPS case, they will stay the CPS case until the criminal prosecution is complete. Understand this, though. CPS and abuse and neglect cases, there's faster timelines. So what a lot of times a prosecuting office will do is try to use the CPS case to help bolster their criminal case. you got to watch that. And the sad thing is the kids get stuck in the middle of this sh- So... I say be very careful talking to cps but you know it's um it's a slippery slope a cps issue today can be a criminal prosecution tomorrow question about bond restrictions is it easy to modify bond you know that really depends on the county you're in a lot of times we'll do bond motions for people and we take over a case like the public defender may have had a case we get retained in And one of the things the defendant wants is to modify their bond you have to give the court a reason to change their bond conditions because what you're really asking the court to do usually district court judge is to override what the magistrate provided the magistrate has limited information when they do the arraignment very limited so what you're trying to present when you're modifying the bond is, hey, here's what we learned after the fact. You want to peel it on you apart. So bond restrictions can be modified. Actually, we won a big bond motion today, and the kid was really happy about it, but it was a lot of legwork to get that modification done. It's not as easy as people think. I know a lot of lawyers sell the client that I could you know, modify your bond. Be careful with that. need to know the pulse of the county you're in. Last question, who is the best trial lawyer you know in the state of Michigan? So I'll tell you this, um, I get asked this question a lot. I think, you know, the best is such a subjective term. You know, how many of us really think we're the best? When you're told about that elite group of criminal lawyers, you know, I mean, and I'm honored to be mentioned in that group. Who's really the best? I would say Scott Grable is the best total package. Because everything I've learned, Scott's taught me. I've been like a machine for things that Scott told me. Um, he's told me about outside-the-box motions. He's taught me aggression. I think Scott is a total package. If we're just talking about a pure trial lawyer, I think Bill McQuarrie is a complete tactician. Here's the thing about somebody like Bill McQuarrie. When I watched Bill, and I sat with Bill at my first two trials, I was the second chair's backup. Man's brilliant. You know, he's not a hand holder, though. You know, sometimes you need one lawyer that's going to answer the client's calls at midnight, going to go to the jail at six o'clock in the morning, and then pass the baton to someone like Bill. Um, as far as it's a tough question to ask i know some people say i'm the best and you know thanks for that but i will tell you i've been doing it as long as bill or scott they're two mentors of mine they're two people i think are amazing to even be in the same breath as those guys is an honor bill is a better trial lawyer than me bill could probably forget more than i know i study bill McQuarrie's trials when i'm going to trial Whenever I get a chance to work with Bill, I do it. He's awesome in court. Um, Scott is the total package. I think I'm definitely the hardest worker. That I'll be arrogant about. I mean, nobody's going to push as hard as me. As far as rising stars, you know, I look at Megan Mast. I look at Asher DuPlessis. You know, they don't have the experience, or I have the experience, with Bill McQuarrie yet. But you could see fire in them. Nicole Becker is great. Nicole Becker... She was a badass prosecutor, she came over to our side. And sometimes, one of the reasons I always had such respect for Scott Corner is because he's done both. He was crime defense, then prosecutor. It's hard to see both sides unless you've been on both sides of the V. Scott Corner, defense lawyer, then prosecutor. Bill McQuarrie, prosecutor, defense lawyer. Nicole Becker, prosecutor, defense lawyer. They got that playbook knowledge you know somebody like a scott grable myself we never had a desire to be a prosecutor we'll never be prosecutors i mean i thought about it for a minute but i just i couldn't see that um i think we're so locked in on the one side and we're passionate we're fighters you know um i was i'm just a street kid in a suit i get that however the polish and the knowledge of knowing the other side, that's an asset sometimes. I have a case in Standish right now, and I will tell you, I'm probably gonna take it, and I'm gonna work my ass off on the file, and then I'm gonna give Bill McQuarrie, he's gonna be first chair if it works out that way. Here's why. In a Standish jewelry, somebody like Bill McQuarrie is the perfect fit. In a Shia Waster Washington jewelry, I'm the perfect fit. You know, in Oakland, you probably want to go with a Scott Grable or a Zach Glazer. You know, it's a lot about knowing the pulse of the audience. In Kent, I'd go with Megan Mast. In Wayne, maybe Asher DePlessis. And I've been in all these counties, but to have an understanding of the jury, the people, be a member of that community, that helps a lot when picking your lawyer. And you know, so it's not an easy question, but I would say, if I to it ahead. I think I'm the hardest worker. I think Scott Grable's the most complete criminal lawyer, and I think Bill McCrary's the best trial lawyer. And every lawyer I mentioned, they all have aspects that are better than the other. It was a four-day trial. It's always life on the line. I'd want Bill McCrary being the lead counsel. To get to that point, I'd want me or Scott Grable to dig up every f***ing thing we could and fight like hell. It all depends. You know, in Livingston County, if it was between me and Bill McQuarrie, well, you go Bill McQuarrie all day long in Washington. you know, you might go me. You know, it's funny. I was going to Standish. I left at 5.45 and I'm blasting my Blink 182 on Spotify. And I swear to God, when I got into Standish, I looked at my phone and Spotify started making suggestions we like, we suggest you listen to John Cougar Mellon Camp. Spotify's brilliant, man. Geography. Big thing, guys. All right. That's it for tonight. My phone's been blowing up, and I have tons of calls to make. Guys, we'll catch up soon. Have a good night. I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this